We all need health checkups from time to time. Uh, for our car health or maintenance, oil change, tune-up, or during the pandemic just to make sure that you start your car every week so the battery won't be dead. Uh, academic health, uh, after summer break, back to school like we're in right now with checkups and quizzes and tests. Uh, relational help, health, if we're going to travel and, and be away from our significant other, we have to have checkups to keep the relationship strong while we're apart. Uh, physical health, uh, while this should be true, when we haven't been able to go to the doctor for a while, we should go for a checkup. And the same is true for our spiritual health. When any length of time goes by and we haven't been reminded of what's important, what healthy actually is, and why staying healthy is important, uh, basically what should concern us and sometimes why that concern is important. And when any length of time goes by and we haven't been reminded of those things, it's time for a checkup. So here are three reasons this checkup is important now regarding our spiritual health. Number one, we have been doing church and life differently enough that we probably need a reminder of what we should be concerned about. Number two, outside of a pandemic year, this annual checkup is important enough that I put it in my calendar. And the reason that I think this should be an annual checkup is because if we aren't careful, the gravitational pull of every church is away from the concern we're going to discuss today. That over the course of 365 days, a lot consumes our mind. And not even bad stuff, good stuff grabs our attention. And if we aren't intentional as a church, we could look back on this season and realize we gradually became unhealthy because we weren't concerned with today's topic. And if you aren't a Jesus follower or really connected to our church yet, we are so glad you're here. And I think this message today could be significant for you because reason number three, the story today answers the question almost everyone asks. What is God really like? And we see what some Christians in the media portray God is like, liberal, conservative, libertarian. Uh, we experience how some Christians represent God with their lives, some represent Him well, and some not so well. However, the story we're going to read today is one of the most accurate pictures of what God is like. So I think it'll be helpful for those of you who are curious or unsure about God. Also, it is just generally an interesting and compelling story that I think if we're all honest, we all hope is true about God. And this story is from Jesus who came to show us what God is like by, by being a living and breathing example of God on earth. However, this story today is Jesus teaching the crowd what God is like. And this story is so powerful and significant because of the crowd and the audience around Jesus. That Jesus is surrounded by two different groups of people. Uh, one group was so alienated from God that they thought that God was not concerned with them. And the other group of people felt like they were so good that God was even more concerned with them. And Jesus looked at both groups of people knowing they each had an error in their thinking about what God is like. And Jesus is the master teacher and his approach was not to address the issue directly because this is an emotional issue, what God is like. This is a theological issue. This is a community and a personal issue. And one group could sort of feel alienated or, or further alienated and, and another group might feel distant from God if he came right out and said what was wrong about their view of God. And so Jesus does what any good teacher, parent, coach, leader does. He addresses this delicate issue in a way that leads both groups to sort of lean in to learn more about what God is really like. Today we'll read from Luke chapter 15. Uh, you can follow along in the Bible app. If you don't have a Bible app, head to bible.com app. Once you're in the app, head to the more menu option in the bottom right corner. Select events, and you can find our church. We'll also have the notes and verses on the screen as well. Uh, Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. 
tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. And when it says often came, this is something for us Jesus followers to really meditate on and to ask God to show us if this is actually happening around us and how we should do this. That people hated these tax collectors so much that they didn't want to sort of offend the notorious sinners by grouping these two together. And the tax collectors had their own category of bad. And the rest of the bad, notorious sinners knew that. And God would never approve of them because of their sin, because of their occupation. God would never approve of them because of their lifestyle, their ethics, or lack of morality or ethics. And the worst people often came to listen to Jesus teach. And I think that means that if Jesus were a pastor today, his audience would often be filled with the worst people in culture because those people couldn't wait to hear Jesus' teaching. And that is different from many of our perceptions of a church. That is different than many of the churches that we grew up in. That is different than the perception from the world about the church. And that shouldn't be. Because when we get this right, we will see the worst people in our society in our church. And now to test how we are doing with this, let us know in the chat uh, if you're a notorious sinner. No, I'm just kidding. Don't actually let us know in the chat. But part of the audience was, who was sinners often went to hear Jesus teach. And the other part of the audience was this group in verse 2. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Now, associating really meant like welcoming, embracing, inviting them in, and, and sort of saving a seat for them. And when it says eating with them, that was a very intimate experience, maybe not too different from eating with someone now, because it involves taking your mask off with being fairly close in proximity to another person and sort of wondering, why didn't you ask them about their vaccination status sooner? And Jesus was eating with these notorious sinners. And if you ate with someone back then, that means you invited someone into your home to eat because there were not restaurants like we think of restaurants. And these teachers and Pharisees couldn't figure out why people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. These tax collectors and sinners couldn't figure out why Jesus, who was nothing like them, seemed to like them. And Jesus actually had more in common with the Pharisees and the religious teachers than he had in common with the sinners and the tax collectors. And yet he attracted these people who were nothing like him, sort of like a light attracts bugs. And this created so much tension because they were wondering, like some of us may wonder, is he condoning their behavior? Have you heard him condemn them yet? Have you heard him say that they, sh they need to quit collecting taxes or that you need to quit doing what you're doing? Then I haven't heard any of that. And if these people gather around Jesus like a bug attracted to light, then it must be because Jesus condones their behavior. And he's going to address how God views sin, but he doesn't start there. He's going to address how God views sinners, but he doesn't start there. Jesus begins by talking about something these very different groups of people in his audience could all agree on because he's the master teacher and communicator. He starts by telling them a parable about sheep and then about a coin. If you're new to our church or reading about Jesus, a parable is simply telling a story to make a point. A story that didn't happen used to illustrate something that is true. And he is not retelling a story that happened. Uh, Jesus used these parables to bring people to very emotional topics or to a subject that is sort of difficult to understand. And Jesus sort of steps back from the topic that he wants to talk about to get his diverse audience feeling the same thing. And he asks them a question that they would all have the same answer to in verse 4. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? 
And Jesus begins with a common emotion that everyone has lost something, that everyone knows what they would do when they lost something of value. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And maybe for the first time in their lives, these Pharisees and sinners, the tax collectors, they sort of together would even nod, like even though they probably never agreed on anything in their lives. And when you find that lost thing, wouldn't you call, text, or post uh, for your friends to see that you found this lost thing? And then Jesus said, you would celebrate because you found this lost thing. And again, everyone is nodding. And then he says, did you know, verse 7, in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. That there is more rejoicing over the lost thing being found than the found thing that was never lost in the first place. And then he asks the women, Isn't it true that if you lost a valuable coin, a coin that we can't fully understand how valuable it was because it was part of something that was so precious to them but doesn't happen in our culture, isn't it true you would go through your house moving stuff, cleaning stuff, searching everywhere for that, that important, valuable thing. And the good women and the bad women, the wives of the tax collectors and of the sinners, the bad husbands and the good husbands agree because their wives would ask them to move the furniture so they could look for this coin. And because when you lose something valuable, it has your undivided attention. You become more focused on what you've lost than you are focused on what you still have. And Jesus says, did you know God is more excited about the one lost person returning to him than he is about the 99 who weren't lost to begin with. And then he goes into the familiar part of his teaching. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told him this story. A man had two sons. Now Jesus understood birth order before that was even a thing, and the older son is a behavior, and the younger son is a misbehavior. And this firstborn wanted to really do everything right, and the younger son, well, not so much. And remember, this is a made-up story to make a point, and Jesus sort of takes it to a ridiculous extreme. Verse 12, the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. And here's how he would say that now to sort of get the response that it would have gotten back then. Dad, I wish you would die so I could get my inheritance, but you just won't die. So could we act like you are dead and give me, give me my inheritance now? that everyone in Jesus' audience would have been equally offended. The Pharisees with sons, the tax collectors and sinners with sons. This was so offensive. And then because Jesus is sort of creating this story, he can sort of take it in any direction. Verse 12, the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Now I imagine the audience was, was very quiet at the fact that the father agreed to actually do this. Like who would do such a thing? Verse 13, a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. Now, either the town was too small for him or he sort of wanted to go where no one knew what he had done. But he bought into a lifestyle that he either couldn't afford or he couldn't handle. Now, the words wild living could mean sort of lavish or just sort of out of his ability to control. Maybe addictions, abuse, but for sure it was wild. Verse 14, about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. And he used up the stuff that it took his father his whole life to accumulate. And the same emotion that might come over you if, you if someone wasted what you had accumulated was the same emotion. Anger. The same emotion in Jesus' audience. 
he persuaded a, form, a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. Now, this young Jewish boy could only find a job feeding pigs, and everyone in the audience, both groups of different people, probably went, yes, like, he's finally getting what he deserves. Verse 16, the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. And Jesus is getting sort of driving this story to an extreme point for this Jewish audience, where pigs were so culturally and religiously unclean or far from God. And Jesus takes this Jewish man who has already taken care of pigs, Jesus takes this Jewish young man to thinking about eating what the pigs eat. And if Jesus had sort of stopped the story there, this would have been a great story. Like everyone would have gone home and shared it with their kids around the dinner table. Kids, this is what will happen if you disobey me. Like this is what God is like. You get what is coming to you. And this would have been a great story that had the attention of everyone in Jesus' audience. So Jesus keeps going though. Verse 17, when he finally came to his senses, the young man said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have good, a food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both you and heaven, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And the audience is probably thinking, oh, this is going to be good. Like they thought that if he just served pigs the rest of his life, that would be good. But now he's going to go back to his father and now justice will happen from his father. And everyone in the audience knew what the son deserved. Everyone in the audience knew what they would do if this son was theirs. And then Jesus, who was making this whole story up to make a very emotional point that maybe no one would agree with if he just sort of started with that emotional point, here's what Jesus said. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with... Now, if Jesus, is, Jesus sort of asked his audience, what was the father filled with? It's very likely the audience would have said, well, he's filled with anger. Because how dare the son humiliate the father in this way? That anger is what you are supposed to feel when someone takes advantage of you and then comes back. And it would be normal for this father to be filled with righteous anger. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Like he ran to him, he embraced him, like gasp. He kissed him? And now everyone in Jesus' audience is confused. Because they thought they knew that when Jesus was going down one of these uh, amazing storytelling journeys, that there was someone who represents you and me, represents the people, and there's someone who represents God. And up until this point, they were probably pretty certain that the Father represented God. And the tax collectors and sinners were, were the younger son. And sort of like, live it up, and YOLO, you only live once, and if you're going to go to hell, well, you know. The religious leaders and the Pharisees thought that we sort of deserve the good coming to us, and they deserve the bad that's coming to them. And suddenly this father, who we thought represented God in this parable, he throws his arms around a stinking, unclean son who has done almost everything he could possibly do to offend and embarrass the, the father. And Jesus confuses his audience with this story because he was showing them what God is like and neither group in the audience understood this about God. And the son starts his speech to his father, verse 21. His son said to, the, to his father, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. And no one really argues with that because it's actually sort of true in some ways. Verse 22. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Now, quick, like that sort of bothers me because in some of my roles, 
I want to say, like, let's wait. Like, let's see if this works out. Let's see if he's actually changed. Like, let's give this some time because uh, maybe he just ran out of money. But the father says, quick, bring the finest robe, ring, and sandals. And the ring and the sandals mean my son is now my son again. Verse 23, and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. Like, we've been saving this, that, this calf for a big event, a big occasion. Whatever the purpose was, this is now the reason to celebrate. Like, what? Verse 24, For the son of mine was dead, and he has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. And for those of you who might be far from God right now, uh, some of you are prodigals. Uh, you sort of turned your back on God. And maybe some of you were sort of drifting away from God before the pandemic. But then it got worse in the pandemic. Uh, some of you are living with a tension, sort of a conscience, a moral issue. And you know things aren't right with you and God. And I'm here to say, come back. It's not because we're mad or God is mad. It's because we love you and sin has a gotcha. And at some point, you end up with scars that may not completely go away. And I know this because I've been a prodigal son. We've all been a prodigal apart from God. And so with this checkup being about what we should be concerned about, when we are concerned about what God is concerned about, sin will break our hearts, not keep us from him. And the story continues with the firstborn son being the behavior. And he's doing what good sons do. They're working hard and behaving. Verse 25, Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told. And your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. And then Jesus sort of identifies the emotion that would be felt in this situation. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. Have you ever met any angry Christians? Have you ever been around an angry nun or maybe an angry pastor? Have you ever heard a preacher or a Christian talk about hell and it seemed like they were glad people would go there? And why are those angry Christians against everyone, particularly those far from God? And it seems like they are against me. That I know Jesus loves me, this I know. But did anyone tell those angry Christians about that? And his father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for, my, for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed with me, and everything I have is yours. To which the son might have said, Well, like, Dad, did you change the subject? No, son, this isn't about behavior or performance. It's all about relationship. We had to celebrate for this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Son, this is about relationship, your brother. And at this point, everyone is so confused listening to this story because none of them understood what God is like. None of them understood how God viewed sinners. And do you know why you might be an angry person? Like, people might get what you feel you deserve. So let me share something with you that I'm still learning, but it's clear from this parable and really could change the world if we could wrap our minds around it. God could not love you more. Nothing you do will cause God to love you less. This is true for you and for everyone that you look at, you text, you email with, you chat with. Because God doesn't get mad at lost people, just like you don't get mad at lost things. Uh, you weren't mad at your lost phone, though you might have been mad at yourself. When we are concerned about who God is concerned about, Sin will break our hearts and not make us mad at them. 
Now, I know this is complex, and, and let me just say, whatever complex situation you're facing, I probably don't have the answer to. But what seems clear from this parable is that when we are concerned about who God is concerned about, sin will break our hearts. It'll not make us mad at them. It'll break our hearts for them. And when a person sins, and when our society sort of embraces sin, when it, it won't make us mad, it'll break our hearts if we're concerned about who God is concerned about, which is people. Verse 32, we had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and he has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. In the times when Jesus told a story about celebrating, it wasn't for those who were there and were faithful. It was for the one who was far from God and came back to be with God. And if that bothers you, I want you to let God change that and to change you. And when that bothers me, I want God to change that and to change me. Because I want us to stay or to become healthy spiritually. And when we are concerned about who God is concerned about, sin will break our hearts. Our own sin will break our own hearts. And the sin of others will break our hearts as well. And we will do whatever we can do to run to them and to throw our arms around them, to bring them back to God. So, who are you concerned about? Uh, what are you doing to express your concern? That's what love is. That is what healthy churches do. And that is who I hope our church will be. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Jesus giving us this story. Thank you for this, this prodigal son story and sort of this teaching that, that, that lost things are valuable and, and sometimes they almost seem more important to us than the things that we have. And, and that's in some ways how you view us when we're lost. And that's how you view all lost people, that you are so concerned with bringing them back and, and being back in a relationship with them. And so God, would you help us to remember that? For those of us who maybe feel like we're far from you and, and maybe we're prodigal son or daughter ourselves, would you help us to do what we can to come back to you? And ultimately, God, we sort of know that whatever turn we make in our lives is really you coming and running towards us just like the father did to his son. So God, would you help us to be willing to come back to you? Because you're already there waiting. Just by simply expressing to you, God, I'm sorry. I want to be back in a relationship with you. Would you please forgive me for my sin that has broken your heart? Would you help me to move forward with you? And God, for the rest of us who maybe have been Jesus followers for a long time, and we maybe relate more to the older brother, because we just feel like we deserve certain things. We've followed you. We've obeyed you. We've sacrificed for you. Would you help us to be concerned with who you're concerned with? that our priority in life would be to help those who are far from you to come back to you. Not to sort of figure out what do we deserve for following you for so long and some sort of a, a sticker system or a checklist or some sort of achievement that we've, we've gained, but that we want to help other people who are far from you to come towards you. So would you put somebody on our mind right now that we are concerned for? Would you help us to know what we can do to express that concern to them, to help them, to love them, to, to, to spend time with them, to have coffee with them? Would you help us to have concern for those who are far from you? God, thank you that you love all of us and that there's nothing that we can do to make you love us more and there's nothing that we can do that will make, make you love us less. Would you help us to keep this in mind this week? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.